but it's a little bittersweet. Uh, this space has been a lifesaver for us at Northside Medina. Uh, we would have had no other space. We searched high and low, especially with COVID and the high school with all the regulations. Um, but this place was willing to let us in. And one of the reasons for that was Gary. And I asked Gary, come on up here. Make your mark. We want to uh, thank him in a big, big way. Um, what an attitude. Positive. We have not had one negative experience at all with being in the admin building and being able to leave our screen up and just the flexibility that he has shown and the willingness to make this happen. So, Gary, this is for you. Thank, thank you, you very much. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Awesome. And he's going to be at opening day next week, right, Gary? I guess he has somebody in here next week. <laughs> the next week he'll be here. All right. Every <laughs> appreciate you very, very much. Ephesians 4, 29 and 30. <clears throat> it says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Read these scriptures with me as they come on the screen. Let's read these together. But no man can tame the tongue it is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. But I tell Reckless words. If anyone... As you go down through those scriptures, did any of them hit you harder than the other ones? We are still in the book of Ephesians as we work through this switch series. And this morning, we're going to deal with a subject that many of us battle with and the church at Ephesus battled with it as well, and that is our speech. According to the Scientific American Magazine, <clears throat> The average number of daily words spoken by a woman, take a guess, <laughs> 20,000, the average number of words spoken by you ladies, that's nearly three times the 7,000 words spoken by men. I don't know why. But that's the statistics. You agree with that? All right. For my wife and I, it's probably her 40,000 to my 2,000. All right. Perhaps you heard about the couple. They've been married for 60 years. 
They were traveling one day and they stopped by a rest area after uh, stretching and going to the restroom. The man got in the car and pulled away. About 15 minutes later, a police cruiser with the sirens going and the lights flashing pulled him over to the side of the road. The officer said, sir, I've been trying to catch up with you. I don't know if you realize it, but you accidentally drove off and left your wife back at the rest area. The old timer said, praise the Lord. I thought I was going deaf. (laughs) Bad, I know. Regardless of your personality, your age, or your spiritual maturity, chances are you battle and you struggle in some area of your life with your speech. And Paul in this section on the tongue is going to give us a gamut of areas that we need to switch when it comes to that. Number one, if you're taking notes, switch from falsehood to truthfulness. Deceptive words, careless exaggerations, false flattery, conveniently neglecting to share all the facts, those are all examples of falsehood. And we live in a society that promotes the white lie. Digital conversations now have enhanced lying and making it easier for people. An article from Fast Company Magazine shared what's fascinating is the way our media shapes our behavior. Digital conversations like chat, text, email are fertile for lying because people can easily conceal their identity. We're more likely to deceive people over lean media like emails and texts than rich media like a phone call or a video call. The more anonymous we feel, the more likely we lie. Ephesians 4.25, Paul says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of what? One body. body. Why does the Bible speak so much about honesty? Honesty. Because falsehood undermines trust, it destroys relationships, and damages your witness. And I love that last phrase. We tell the truth because we are members of one body. He's speaking to the church there. We are family and we speak the truth to each other. Another reason we tell the truth is because lies are a characteristic of Satan himself. Go all the way back to his first appearance in the Bible as he twisted God's words to Eve. That's why Jesus described him later by saying in John 8, 44, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. We must also tell the truth because when we distort the facts, when we intentionally deceive someone, we are more like Satan than we are like God. Maybe the most impressive reason not to lie is because when you tell the truth, you reflect God himself. The Bible says it's impossible for God to lie. Earlier in chapter 4, verse 15, Paul shares, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, Christ. That is Christ. 
Proverbs 12, 19. Therefore, lips endure forever, but a lying, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only for a moment. If you tell the truth, you don't have to worry about always going back and covering up when you said a falsehood or you told a lie. And God wants you and I, as an honest believer, to be so distinctive by the language and speech that we use that we stand out from others. Second, switch from impulse to control. Impulse to control. Anger is quite often used to express ourselves verbally. It might be through shouting. It might be through accusing, through cursing, through verbal abuse, insults. But whenever the anger comes, our speech, our tone begins to escalate. So we need to think before we speak. Paul uses his words carefully. Ephesians 4 again, verses 26 and 27. He says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. That's great wisdom for all of us. Not to, go ang- not to be angry when the sun goes down. I do use this in premarital counseling all the time. It's one of the things I bring up the most. And I say, listen, in your marriage, husbands and wives, listen, in your marriage, do not go to bed angry. No matter what, every single night, you kiss each other, you tell each other you love each other, and then you go to sleep. You don't go to bed angry. You don't close your eyes angry. Brenna and I have lived by that rule. We have stayed up one time for three weeks, not going to sleep. No, it's tough. But at least you take the edge of it, off of it. Paul says, when it comes to your speech, don't let hurtful words fester. Don't let them grow. Because if you do that, you try to sweep them under the rug, by the time you eventually deal with what's causing it, it's the size of an elephant. How many of you have filters of some sort on your internet or on your TV? Raise your hand. All right. These are great tools to use, especially if you have uh, teenagers, grandchildren, some of you. Things are available, just a couple, like Web Purify for the internet. Web Purify, it claims to have an accurate and efficient profanity filter on it. For the TV, things such as TV Guardian, their advertisement says, no cuss for us. (laughs) No cuss for us. How many of you like wearing a mask? (laughs) One person, all right. I hate masks. I hate them. Chuck, stand up, if you will. Chuck's got his mask on. Chuck, stand up. Stand up. Stay up, stay up. What if we wore masks all the time, pandemic or no pandemic? If we wore a mask and those masks were able, able to filter our speech. Follow me? If we had a mask on 
and we intentionally concentrated on that mask, not to protect us from things coming in, but to protect others and our heart from what's going out. Thanks, Chuck. Give Chuck a hand. All right, glad you had that on. It might look different for all of us, but filters we might have that that mask might filter out. You could think, do I have the other person's best interest at heart with what I'm about to say? Is it loving? And a big one, is this something Jesus would say? Is this something Jesus would say? Paul suggests the filter for our minds. And I think that's a good filter as well to start with our words because usually what we think it before we say it. Philippians 4.8, here's this filter for our minds. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, what? Yeah, you think about those things. And that will control even the speech that comes out. You say, yeah, that's a great filter for my mind, but it sounds more like I need a filter for my heart. And that's true. Bottom line, it all comes down to where our heart really is as to what words and what thoughts we have. Jesus said in Matthew 12, for out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. But I tell you that man will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they've spoken. Ouch. Huh? For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Perhaps a simple filter would be, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O God. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O God. If you begin to have some type of filter, think of it as a mask over your mouth and you allow the Holy Spirit to have free reign inside of you, it will begin to curb your profanity, curb your anger, control your criticism, and underguard your, temp your temper. Guard your tongue. Switch from impulse to control. Third, switch from tearing down to building up. Switch from tearing down to building up. Watch this.
sticks and stones will break my bones, but words, that's good, Ray. I like it, though. But words will never hurt me. Whoever came up with that, they gave the biggest falsehood that's ever been known to man. Because words, just one, can rip us apart. Ephesians 4.29, read this with me. Paul writes this. Do not let... want to challenge each of us, including myself, to take it up a notch with the words that come out of our mouth, that we might be less tolerant even of profanity and crude comments that are around us in the workplace or out in the marketplace, that we might be able to ask somebody, hey, when you hear me start to go off track with the words that I use, you know, kick me. Give me some kind of signal to hone me back in to purify my words. And if you ever start to hear me say something that reduces the name of God himself, let me know immediately. Let me know immediately. Two of the Ten Commandments deal specifically with speech. God says, do not lie and do not take the name of the your Lord, your God, in vain. Paul adds in Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for on the day of redemption. In other words, Paul continually reminds us, listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Say what he would have you say from your heart. Our choice and our words should build people up and honor God rather than tear people down and dishonor God. God. In this section, he's talking about building instead of tearing down, having a reverence for God and his name. Nothing aggravates me more than the careless treatment of the name of God. And I don't believe much aggravates him more. Why would that be? Well, because names are important. You and I really don't even like it if someone misspells our name on a name tag at a convention or a meeting because names are, pre are special to us. No one likes to have his or her name trashed or disrespected. And yet you'll hear it at work, you hear it at the ball game, and if you're not careful, over the course of time, it doesn't even phase you anymore because you hear it so much. But if you're really not careful, it will begin to chip away at the words you use even when it comes to God. You may find yourself saying, oh God, and not even realize you're saying it. We need to take steps in this area and treat the name of God with the holy respect it deserves. I realize we can't change this stuff in our speech overnight, but we have to start somewhere. And in order to change it, 
I sincerely believe we need to replace it with something. Anytime you try to eliminate a sin, whatever sin it is in your life, you've got to replace it with something holy and positive or it'll keep coming back. That's the key to it all. Be distinctive in this. Let me share you a secret of mine when it comes to not swearing. It happened all the way back in high school. When I was growing up in high school, I was at the church all the time. I loved serving. I loved doing whatever I could to help out. Now, never forget, we were putting up soundproofing stuff in the back, back of the worship area. And I was working with a guy named John Miller. I was doing it out of the goodness of my heart. To be truthful, I did it because I would get free meatball sandwiches at lunch. And they were Capri meatball sandwiches in Steubenville, Ohio, are the best meatball sandwiches in the world, all right? And so if they were going to feed me meatball sandwiches, I'd be there all day long. It didn't matter. Just keep bringing them, and I'll keep working. Well, we were working, and he's up on a ladder, and I'm next to him, and he's pounding this sound treatment stuff to the wall, and, I mean, he just smashed his thumb, smashed it. And he turns, and he goes, I won't literally spit because of COVID, all right? But he spit. I said, John, you just spit in church. He said, yeah, it's better I do that than what I would do otherwise. And he went on to explain to me why he spits. And so since that time, I've spit in meetings. I've spit on the golf course a lot. And I quite often have to clear the dash of my truck in traffic. But let me tell you, I don't cuss hardly at all. I won't say never. Whew. Why? Because I've learned to replace it, and I don't have to spit very often anymore. If you see me spit, you know something's going on, all right? But replace it with something. Make a switch. Finally, Paul says this, switch from bitterness to forgiveness. And this one's big. He begins this section here reminding us that there is someone living inside of us who we can rely on to get past all this stuff. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as what? Wow. You see, slander is a misrepresentation and a character assassination. Bitterness, on the other hand, is a long-standing resentment or a spirit that refuses to be reconciled. Chuck Swindoll says this, there is no prison more damaging than the bars of bitterness that will not let the battle end. Bitter people have clever ways of getting even, clever tactics of getting even. But the believer... We need to make an intentional switch from bitterness to forgiveness. You say, whoa, that's a pretty big leap, Jeff. 
Yeah, it is. It's a big leap. But Jesus paved the way for us on the cross. Jesus lived a perfect life. And you really think about it, was there anyone else in all of life and all of creation who had a right to be bitter, but instead offered forgiveness? Jesus said, in the same measure you forgive others, that's how you'll be forgiven. That's one of the scariest statements in all of Scripture. In the same way you forgive others, that's the measure I'll use to forgive you. Someone said you can tell more about a person by what he says about others than by what, excuse me, you can tell more about a person by what he says about others than what others have to say about him. Probably recognize the name Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel has written numerous books on the substantiation of one's faith. You may or may not know that Lee Strobel was a staunch atheist prior to giving his life to Jesus. Lee Strobel writes this story. He shares, my daughter Allison was five years old when I became a follower of Jesus. All she'd known for the previous five years, her first five years was a dad who was prone to be profane and extremely angry. He said, I remember one night I came home and I kicked a hole in the living room wall out just over anger for life. I am ashamed to think of the times that Allison hid in her room just to get away from me. Five months after I gave my life to Jesus, that same little girl went to my wife and said, Mommy, I want God to do for me what he did for Daddy. I want God to do for me what he did for Daddy. Age five. What was she saying? She never studied the archeological evidence regarding the truth of the Bible. All she knew was her dad used to talk this way and act this way, but more and more her dad is becoming like this. And she thought if that's what God does for people, sign me up, sign me up. What is it about you that needs to switch? So when someone observes your speech, observes your life, they say, whatever they got, sign me up. Sign me up. I want you to listen to some phrases, some words spoken years ago about someone who loves you very, very much. Perhaps go ahead right now and just close your eyes and just listen specifically to these words from Jesus himself. Neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. 
I no longer call you servants. Instead, I have called you friends. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me.